Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is episode number eighty-nine. Hello, Ben. Hello, Jelly. So, do you, you have a you have a topic for us? I, it's is this what's is this what's happening? Yep, Sweet. I do have a topic. This fortnight's topic is dependency injection. Ooh. Whoa, so cool, so now, so up with the times. So I'm th- I'm I'm thinking that this is like injection. I mean, obviously it's injection of dependency, but it's like. Is it regarding like the dependencies that you write against when you're creating a project? Like, is this talking about I don't know third party libraries and stuff like that? Is that what we're talking about? I mean, it could be, but it's okay. not. It's not just that. So it's pretty much the dependencies that all your classes have. Okay. These two words, dependency injection, I think are thrown around quite a lot by all of the all the cool kids out there, right? Like they're like, "Oh, I use 100% dependency injection because I'm the best developer that ever walked." Okay. I don't know if I ignored it, but I kind of wrote it off for a long time because I was like, "This is just everyone overcomplicating things as always. This is just one other level of abstraction on top of the 6,000 I've already got. It's just not required." But it turns out dependency injection is actually really easy and makes a lot of sense. And it's not complex at all. Or it's as complex as you make it. Like it's actually a very easy technique to have in your toolbox, I guess. Okay. So I think every developer has gone through the, the phase of they like write singletons, especially on iOS mm. or mobile. Yeah. Like singletons solve so many things really easily. I do write a lot of singletons. Right? Yeah. And I, I used to all the time as well because... It's just easy and it works. Mm. And you hear like the cool kids again saying singletons are the worst. Whenever I open a project and see a singleton, I instantly delete the whole thing and start again. Like that's the kind of the hate that singletons wow. get. And for ages, I was always like, oh, this is so complex. Why, why bother with these opinions? <laughs> but dependency injection replaces singletons and it does it quite easily. Okay. So the main problem with singletons that I always hear is it completely breaks testing because if you've got all these singletons everywhere, yep. your tests aren't predictable. They kind of depend on the state of your singleton, which could be in any form based on which test ran first, if you know what I mean. Like all the tests are linked because they all rely on this, this singleton object. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Call it a data store because that's the most common one I see is the data. You've got a nice singleton to manage your data layer. Which makes sense because you don't want to be spawning up data layers all over your app. They all need to have the same one probably. So you just right. make a singleton and you can call into it, say, give me the give me the gif at index five. That's effectively what I use singletons for. So I yeah. have I have a library controller that literally controls the library data for GIF wrapped and it, like it basically handles like dealing with the storage controllers. And sits between those and the like the UI, and so basically it's this this singleton that I just that I connect to from whatever UI I need to, and it talks to the various. So I mean, it makes sense that it's a singleton to me, right? Like that that makes yeah, sense because you only want one, right? And if you've only got one, why not throw a global like accessor getter? on it yeah and then you can just get it because there's only one who cares yeah exactly so to be honest i still don't hate singletons that much but i'm going to present an alternative to you and you can decide whether or not it's worth maybe not for this project maybe when you start a new one you'll try it out that's that tends to be how i use these techniques i come across like i don't bother refactoring my entire project just because i heard about some cool new thing i just try it out in the next one yeah fair enough 
all dependency injection means is instead of, say, using that singleton, so you've probably got library controller shared instance or something like that, right? Right. So instead of using that, all we're going to do is pass in when we make whatever class is using it, we're going to pass it in. We're going to pass in the library controller. That's it. Like that's dependency injection. So instead of referencing global singletons everywhere, whenever we need one, we're just going to pass it in. Right. So, so when you make the object the first time, one of its parameters will be library controller. Okay. And so then, yeah, it like it has a link to the library controller then. Yeah. Okay. That is literally it. So <laughs> instead of your class going outwards looking for everything it needs, right? when we make it, we just pass everything it needs in. And now your class is completely contained. Like we can pass in whatever we want. The class itself just knows it's got everything and just uses it. Yeah. Just like it would have. Yeah. And now you can, in your test, you can pass in a different library controller if you want to. Okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So if I'm like if I'm creating I don't know, the main thing that calls the uh that calls the library controller is like view controllers and stuff like that. So if I'm creating those view controllers, I pass in a library controller when I'm initiating them. Yeah. Right. Dependency injection done. Topic over. <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so now the cool thing is you can test that class much easier because you can pass in mocked versions of whatever dependencies you've got, right? So maybe instead of passing in an actual library controller, you would pass in one that just stores everything in memory so that at the end of the test it's just blown away. So you're not actually saving or whatever. Right. So it's not just your own singletons. You can do this. So a a few common ones that cause iOS-specific classes to be hard to test is like NSUserDefaults, Notification center. So you could test your notifications by writing up a mocked notification center that just like makes sure you actually subscribed. Mm. Yeah. Also, like you can do this with all of them. And what you're suggesting here seems to suggest that you, you could use protocols to define those things so that you're not necessarily always referring to a library controller. You can just create the thing, the bits that you need for that particular class. That's exactly right. Yeah. So mm. you're your library controller might implement a protocol for just getting GIFs. Like you, right. this controller never edits. Yeah. So you have a protocol for an object that defines how to get GIFs. And then you could, in your test, pass in one that just is read-only. I like it. I like it a lot. And honestly, that is dependency injection. And you can make that as complex as you want. But it always comes back to you're just passing in or injecting because they had to use a fancy word. You're just passing in what that class needs. Right. So there's a few ways to go about this. I think there's quite a few, but there's the, I guess, the four main ones that I run into. The first one is constructor injection. And what this means is your init method, you just pass in everything that class needs. So we already mentioned the library controller one. So you'd have your GIF view controller in it with library controller. And that's it. If that, if that was your only dependency, right? Right. So you just pass in whatever else you need in that constructor. So I've done stuff like that before with like delegates. Is that the same is that the same kind of thing that we're talking yeah. about here? Like because you pass it you can create something with a delegate and then like that delegate is basically read only for the for the remainder of that object's life. Yep, that's it. And so most people are right. already half doing this. They just don't realize it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So they they're doing it for the ones that they 
don't know what they're going to be, I guess, when they're typing out their code, right? Right. So they're still using singletons in the class because they know it's going to be that singleton. But they also need an interface because they're building a nice object and they don't know what that object's going to be used in. So they're like halfway there. Just inject mm. the singletons as well mm. and you're done. Right. Cool. So the other or the next one is property injection. So instead of a constructor, you can just have a whole pile of settable properties. Okay. And this can be nice if, say, your constructor was getting really big or some of them are optional. Yep. The next one is method injection. So this one is less used, but it just means when you're writing a method out, instead of referring to, I guess, instance variables and stuff, you just pass in the dependencies for the method. And this one works great, I guess, with algorithmic code. So right. if right. you've written a thing to sort a list, not that you'd ever do that because that's done so many times these days, but instead of going to your instance variable, getting that list and sorting it, you would pass in the list sort the list and return it and then you can reuse it right so that sort of thing is where you is it like that functional kind of method of programming where you that's, like you have, right. have something that like something that doesn't rely on any kind of anything outside of itself and it doesn't change state so you don't like so you just have these kind of crazy like functions that you pass in everything that you need it returns everything and nothing else changes that's it right so everything's contained yeah. and the last one is what's called extract and subclass so basically you do it when you don't want to make too many changes like you're working with someone else's code and maybe there's no tests and you're just trying to write a few tests so that when you work on it you can see you're not breaking things so you probably wouldn't use this one if you were starting from scratch right this is kind of just if you want to patch it in in places and that is just you override the class that you are trying to inject dependencies into and it kind of has to rely on that there were already properties there and so you override the the getter of that class of that property and return whatever you want in there in your subclass that sounds dangerous yeah so that that's really only like you would never do that for the actual project right this is just if you're in a test and you want to sub in a mocked thing you would subclass and then in the test use the subclass rather than the, the actual thing. I guess that's useful if you were creating, um, if you're you know using stuff that other people have written and you have no access exactly. to make changes to it. Although, although, what about with this new Swift thing that's coming eventually where everything is going to be final by default? Ah, so... <laughs> Wow, touching on the controversial topics. <laughs> so did, you saw that that was returned for review, right? Yeah, so it's not quite final. And then final got watered by down. Yeah, and so then it's now like so it's now like it's not necessarily final by default. It's more like you mark things as if they have can't they can be overridden. Yeah, so they've <laughs> just split up. So originally it was final by default. Yeah, and you would have to say I am subclassable which yep. probably meant most people were never going to do it because everyone assumes they're a perfect developer. Right. And so now they've split up the meaning of public. So public means my methods are all available yep. for use. Yep. And also I'm subclassable. So now they have a different word for each one. So you can, if you want, define I'm public for use, but I'm not subclassable. Right. So you can mark them as both. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think it defaults to on, but I haven't actually been looking too much at it because I try to avoid those <laughs> those like controversial ones until yeah. they're just resolved and then I go in and read the the conclusion. Because I don't like all the debate. Yeah, fair enough. I understand 
It's okay. It sounds like it's always people with the loudest voice. Anyway, <laughs> so let's get into the uh, advantages and disadvantages of each of those four methods I just put forth. Okay. So constructor injection is probably the best one or the easiest to use. It makes the most sense when someone else comes along to the project and wants to use your class that you've written because it lists all your dependencies up front. It's like, to initialize me, I need this and I'm not going to work unless you give me all of them. Right. good, right? Yep, that's good. Yep. The problem is if your class has 50 dependencies, your constructor is massive. Right. And that's not going to look very good. Yeah. But... That's more of a sign of another problem rather than a problem with constructor injection. So it probably means your class is not following the single-use principle, you know? It's doing too many things. Right. Um, but still, it can happen. It can happen in legit cases where you really do need that many dependencies. So, Well, if you've got a really complex project, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is property injection, which might work better for the case where you've got lots of dependencies. So right. you have settable properties for each of your dependencies. And the cool thing about this one is you could lazy initialize them. So I guess they could be optionally injected. So if you never set anything on the property, the class just knows where to get the default one from. Yeah. So that's good for user defaults, I guess, NSURL session, notification center. So in the test, you can inject a different version of each of those. Yep. But in your actual app, you, you don't have any more code to set it up. It just knows to use the default ones because they're lazy initialized. Hmm. I, I actually have a feeling that I've used this before. Right. I think most people have. They just didn't know they were doing it. So I think on Other, so Other makes quite strong use of um, NS user defaults. And specifically, mm-hmm. it makes use of NS user defaults for an app group because it needs to share the information between itself and its uh, it ex- its extensions. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that all of the classes that reflect, refer to a, an NS user defaults class for that app group do so via a property as opposed to calling it directly. Yeah. And I think not like mostly that was because I didn't want to have to write it out every, every time. You know, because and also like you know, passing the the string that you have to use to create an app group. Yeah. So I kind of like you did it accidentally. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So there is a problem with this. Okay. This method. Oh no. It's not. It's not a big one. Don't worry. <laughs> oh okay. You have to watch out for because these properties are now settable, right? Right. You got to watch out for someone resending it underneath you. Yeah. So okay. like you've in your tests, you've injected them all. And you're like, why isn't this working? Mm. Like, I don't get it. And it's, it might be because Something somewhere else, else in the code yep. has reset that property. Yeah. So there's a few ways you can solve that. You could throw an assert if in the setter there's already something set. That's the most common one I see. Yep. Could just not do it. Yep. Yeah. You know, this is like standard stuff. So just watch out for that. The other thing to watch out for is what happens if these properties are used across threads you're probably, when you're writing it out, assuming everything's on the same thread, but it might not be, or you might have to declare this this class is not thread safe because I used property injection, and who knows what will be happening when you set that property. Yep. So it's just one other thing to think about. Yep. Method injection is the next one. We kind of already talked about it. It's only really good for very contained methods that are just like straight up, I guess, algorithmic yep. rather than dabbling with UI and all that. Yeah, which you, which you mentioned, yeah. You wouldn't use it, I don't think, if 
let's say you had a whole pile of methods in a view controller and they all use the same thing, it's probably overkill to inject everything into each of those methods when they could probably just go and grab it if it's a view, say. Yeah. But you could. It depends on like how many dependencies that method has like, and how reusable you think it will be in the future. Well, I mean, unit tests are more useful for, for the, like the data and the kind of backend stuff as opposed to the as opposed to the view like the the views and stuff like that right like that that yeah. makes that makes you sense. might you might be writing maybe like animation code yeah and then okay. that could become testable by injecting views into that maybe you're scrolling something and if it's already at the bottom you scroll to the top i don't know i'm just making stuff up right you could pass in a thing that was already at the bottom for your test and then make sure it was at the top by the time it came out Okay, that'd be a good test. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, extract and subclass. We already mentioned it's a bit weird and you probably would never use it. So it's it's basically just for if you've got legacy code or you don't control the code and you want to write tests because you're worried about breaking it, you could do that. You'd subclass and then use your subclassed one that passes in whatever mocked object you're trying to do. Okay. But as you already mentioned, it's dangerous and fragile because now you have two classes to maintain instead of one. So mm. if you suddenly start using something else in the main class, your subclass might have broken. So now you've got to like deal with two things all the time. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't. I, I don't think I would use that like unless I actually was unable to modify the base class. Yeah. I, I think that would be my rule for that. And I think going down that list of like of times where you use injections um, from like class to property to method to to like this this version, whatever it was called. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that kind of like is a, a list in the actual order of which I would you know consider doing it. Uh, I'm not necessarily, I don't really necessarily write my methods like that. Like I, I I'm terrible. I, I'm like people are going to hate me because I write my met- most of my methods right are written with state in mind as yeah. opposed to like non-state function type stuff, functional type stuff. So I actually did use this one the other day. Really? This extract and subclass. And it was only like to write a quick test. So yeah. I just have an API client that's already written and works, but I didn't want to be hitting the network in my test. So I just subclassed it and I made a mock version. So all right. of them just return strings instead of the string from the network. Right. I mean, there's heaps of ways to do that, but that was just like, I only wanted one test. Just wanted to like, I was working on it. So mm. it was fast. Mm. Probably not future proof, but yeah. Mm. 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 All right, so let's move on. So like all cool cool techniques, I guess, some people write it all themselves and other people go hunting for a framework to do it for them. I am definitely in that first camp. <laughs> well, you're going to be happy because I think this technique is so simple. You probably, I can't see how a framework on iOS is going to help with this. I can't see how it would work either. There is some on Android that I will get to. Um, but right. on iOS, you are technically already, well, actually, you might not be. <laughs> you are technically <laughs> using one because this is what Interface Builder does. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense. In, Interface Builder injects all of the views and stuff into your class, right? Yeah, with like with properties that it sets. With, with properties that it sets. So effectively, uh, that is dependency injection. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, but apart from that, I have, I've seen people tweet about their dependency injection framework in iOS and I've given it a quick skim and just gone, I just don't see what this is adding. Uh, how would you even how would you even write a, a dependency injection framework? I don't I, Okay, like... so I can show you I can tell you an example. So on Android, there are some. And they're actually like one of them is from Google. So right. it's like first party. 
And the reason, I think the difference why on Android, I think, yes, this is doing cool stuff that actually helps me. Yep. And on iOS, it's not. It's because Java has annotations. So you, it's like metadata for your, your code, right? Right. And these annotations can be processed by a compiler. So what it does is it kind of writes for you the glue code. Uh, okay. So using code generation, it does the actual injecting parts for you. So there's, there's two which are very commonly used. There's butter knife and there's dagger. Butter knife is a blunt dagger. <laughs> so butter knife, that is legit. That, that is like that not is, even made up. Yep. That is the actual naming. So butter knife injects just basically just views. It does a few other things as well. So on Android, if you want to, like you've got your, say, your view controller, which is actually called an activity, and you have your XML view, kind of like your nib, Yep. Your XML view has a whole pile of IDs for each of the views that you're going to want to access in your code. Right. And traditionally, how you would get them is you would go view.findView, like root view, sorry, root view.findView by ID, whatever the ID is you called it in the XML, right? Okay. And that's a lot of boilerplate to be hooking these all up. Yeah. So what you can do instead using ButterKnife is the properties that you would have set with findView by ID, you just write, like you annotate the property with a thing that says bind view and the ID. So instead of the huge line of binding and casting and making sure it's the right type, it's just annotated on the start of the property. Right. Kind of like your non-atomic read-only whatever stuff from iOS or Objective-C. It's just another one of those. I I mean, it's it's effectively the same as the way that you annotate your properties for uh, Interface Builder to inject them. Like it, you mark them as being... That's exactly right. Uh, IB, uh, IB outlets and uh, and they become like a property that Interface Builder knows about and will set and then you link them up. Like that effectively... Yeah. So, I mean, I can understand like why it would be completely un, like unuseful on iOS because it kind of already is there and there's not really... Like you, you wouldn't do it another way. Like nobody, yeah. nobody opens up their nibs and like manually pulls out all the various different bits. Like that's that would be insane. Yeah, because yep, yep, yep. it's done for you. So that's exactly right. Yeah, and so I guess the reason why dependency injection frameworks on iOS are no good is because we can't define our own one of those annotations. If yeah. we could, you could do a whole pile of cool stuff. Um, but until that happens, I can't see a framework helping with so dependency injection annotations. Are they like? Because Objective C, and I don't think Swift has these, but Objective C has attributes that you can apply to your, like to apply to methods. Yeah, but we we can't define our own ones, right? Yeah, no, you have to. I think that I think the way that you define those is basically you you can basically only use like preset stuff. You can't like write you know Ben's attribution and yeah. have that mean something unless it you know unless it is just basically you know, a placeholder for, I don't know, this method is, you know, is functional. Like, it, yeah. do, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't change state um, because that already is an attribute that you can apply. Yeah, that's right. So, in, annotations are really cool. I guess that's a whole other topic, but you can do heaps of stuff with them. So, for instance, the most common place I see them is with parsing JSON or XML. Yeah. So, you have all your fields and above each one is an annotation of, what that field looks like in JSON because, you know, you might use underscores instead of camel case or something. Right. And then it can just be initialized without a whole pile of boilerplate code to convert all those fields to their JSON names. That's nice. 
yeah, it's really cool. Like, I really, I think it'll happen one day. I'm surprised it wasn't already in Objective C. Honestly, like, I'm, I, I, I'm pretty happy with how how Swift handles JSON these days. Like, you know, really, no, that's in compa- the, no, in comparison that, to Objective C, it's the worst. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Objective C is the worst, and uh, Swift is semi nice. Like, because I mean, you look at. You you look at the way that Objective C does it right. In Objective C, let's say that you have an array of objects and you want to get a property from that object and you want to get all those properties from that object. Yeah. So you would get back an array from your JSON parser and uh, that array would have like dictionaries inside of it. And yep. so first of all, you have to check to make sure that like that is correct because I mean, what happens if the JSON passes back something that you're not expecting, like say an error message um, that isn't an array? So you have to check, you know, is uh, that is kind of class NS array? Yep. And then you can go th- once you know that it's an NS array, you can set it to an NS array, and you can you can uh, you can loop over that, and then you have to go through each with each property. You also probably should check to make sure that it is you know, actually the value that you're expecting. I mean, string is the basic one, but let's say that you have like a Boolean, like you want, you have a Boolean flag and that's going to mm-hmm. come back as an NS number. So you have to like check that it's an NS number, convert it to an NS number. And then once you've got an NS number, you can then get the Boolean value out of it, right? With Swift, there's so much like, it's so much kind of nicer. Yeah, I guess Swift Swift makes it easier to check and cast types in the same line because you got your if let as and yeah you can, you can kind of get a lot of that logic you just said into your as because it's not going to pass if it's not a dictionary and it's not a dictionary of this type and right but mantle was so good like i missed the days of those dynamic json parsing libraries like i loved mantle mm. and everyone's trying to recreate those days in swift and it just can't happen because rightly so swift is like statically typed right and JSON right. is just whatever the hell JSON feels like being that day. So, yeah. well, I mean, it could that, be anything. That translation is going to be messy. And so, none of the JSON libraries that I've ever seen on Swift are really worth the extra dependency. Whereas I felt like Mantle on Objective C was. It did everything for me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'm not saying that Swift is amazing. It. I'm definitely not saying Swift is amazing because I'll leave. I'll leave that one for Jake. <laughs> but I. I definitely am more impressed with its handling of JSON than than I am impressed with Objective C's. But if you're saying that Android's handling is better because of these annotation things, then I'm all for that. Yes, I think it is because it goes back to like the Mantle days. So Mantle did the same thing. It just couldn't use annotation, so you had to kind of provide methods for converting the names and stuff but yeah it's effectively the same thing yeah so it does the magic of fair enough and it uses reflection which in swift land might never happen well, it's supposed to happen well sort of who knows that's one of those other controversial topics <laughs> <laughs> um, so going back to the the android dependency injection frameworks the cool thing about them is they don't actually use the oh, sorry i was going to say dependency injection they do use dependency injection they don't use reflection they actually do it with code generation, kind of like Mode Generator, I guess, in yeah. iOS land. Yep. So they're writing the code for you and it just lives in like a little, it's not a subclass. It's kind of like another class that's called and it's injected in. And yeah, so you get like the performance benefits because it's not reflection. You can actually just 
if it's not working how you think, you can just open up that class and see what it's doing. Going, oh, I can see where it's going wrong. Right. Yeah. Cool. So I can now hear what you're saying. One, stop talking about Android. And two, <laughs> uh, I use storyboards. How would this ever work? Because a storyboard does all this magic for me. So I, I'm going to say that I'm not saying that because I don't use storyboards. But sure, like I can pretend that I use storyboards for the purposes of this. Yeah. So if you're, not using, topic forward. if you're not using storyboards, you're pretty much done. I think I've already sold you. Uh, it's, it's easy to implement if you're not using storyboards because you're just going to like change your constructors or your initialization, and you're going to be done, right? Right. In storyboard land, these are all done with like in it with Coda, and there's not really any chance to change that constructor. So what are you going to do? The answer is there's no great solution to this. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is where uh, I will say, like since starting to use dependency injection, I was a big storyboard. I liked storyboards. What I've actually discovered is I like nibs. Like the storyboards, the segues aren't great. So I yep. like being able to visually lay out my, especially constraints. Yep. But I'm not so sold anymore on segueing between them using like, you know, by drawing lines between them. It's nice to see it. Yep. Like it's nice to have an overview of it, but the actual implementation. Fair enough. So, but you're in like the, I guess, head technical person has said, we use storyboards at this company. Stop complaining. And what are you going to do? So you can use prepare for segue. In prepare for segue, you could do your property injection. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really not that bad. It is annoying that they're always, you might have a whole pile in that prepare for segue. This is kind of going back to KVO days. It's annoying they all go to the same spot. Yep. It's the same with segues. Um, the other thing is you can just not use segues. So you could still have your storyboard and not link them up with lines and just manually instantiate them and inject there yep or you can get extra fancy so this is what i was saying before dependency injection is as complex as you want it to be so what we've been trying at stripey sock is we kind of have a dependency container or multiple containers like you might have a container just with stuff to do with the api client okay and that is a bit of a singleton i will admit but the trick is you can set it up with whatever you want to be in that container so we have I guess, one singleton per container, which has all the classes in it. And those classes are set up once in the app delegate or in another class that is run at the start that puts all the right classes in their place. And then the rest of the app refers to that. So in the tests, you can set up a completely mocked container if you want, or just mock only with a mock API client, but still use whatever else is normal. And then what you can do is the storyboard like the instantiation doesn't matter. So it's it's like a fancy property injection. So okay. at the start, say in view did load, it goes and sets all its properties yeah. from the container rather than from individual singletons for each one. Yeah. And that's exactly how Dagger, that Android framework, does it as well. So Dagger is I didn't actually end up mentioning it. Dagger is the sharper butter knife. It's for injecting everything instead of just views. Right. So that's the same thing they do as well. <clears throat> Which one's the Google one? Is it Dagger? So Dagger is Google now. It's kind of, but it didn't start at Google. So right. they made version two. Okay. So version one is Square and Butterknife is Square. That's actually Jake Wharton. And Dagger two is Google. Anyway, so that's, that's pretty much it. There is one other, I guess it's a controversial topic, so I'm only going to touch on it. But it's, if you're doing property injection in Swift, do you make these properties optionals or do you make them implicitly unwrapped? Because they're not going to be set at compile time right Ooh, yeah 
Okay. Yep. So I I, I think that you would make them you would make them optionals because I'm pr- pretty sure that's how you do it with uh with outlets, right? The IB outlets. Not that I use them, but no. So outlets by default. This is the uh, this is the exact same debate. So this is what to do. The debate is what do you make your properties that aren't set at compile time? And so the Apple default. And still, I guess the popular opinion, if you take took a poll on Twitter or something, is to make your outlets implicitly unwrapped. Right. Because it kind of acts like an assert that you've hooked them up. Yeah, that makes sense. But a lot of people will tell you that's not great because they're not hooked up until view did load, basically. You can assume they're hooked up by view did load. But if you do prepare for segue, say like you have, um, let's say you have a, a view that displays an object, a view controller that displays like one model object, right? Yep. Might be a message. So let's say it's got a title and a detail. So in my prepare for segue, I pass in my message. And then in my message view controller, I have a property that has a nice setter so that when I set a message, it goes and sets the title on the title label and the detail on the detail label. That's going to crash because those views don't exist yet. Right. And so people will say, then they should have been optional because then it wouldn't have crashed and you could have just set it up once it actually existed. Yep. So yeah, there's debates on both sides. Currently, I'm still on the implicitly unwrapped side because I like the, the assert that they're hooked up by the time I go to use them in did load. And I just mm. know not to use them before then. Yeah, so if I've, if I've set something up wrong, it crashes on me straight away and says, this is new. And I'm like, ah, cool. That's my fault. I'll go and fix it. Yeah okay, I I understand that I can and this is this kind of goes back to what we were, what we've discussed. Uh, I think we were talking about it last week because I was ta- we were talking about how like putting exclamation marks in your code is bad. Yeah, except for situations where you want to use it as a like as a marker to say this should never happen. Why are you letting it happen? You are a jerk. Yeah. That's that's my rule that I'm still on is if it's programmer error, yep. that's an exclamation mark. If yep. it actually is optional and could be nil legitimately, obviously yep. that is a question mark. Yeah. I think I think half the problem is like sometimes when you're dealing with very some some APIs within Ob- Objective C or or whatever, basically within Coco, um some of them like they can return nil but they don't really explain when that is. Yeah. So as an example, I was talking about app groups before. Mm-hmm. The method that you call to get uh, to get the directory for an app app group, uh, which is on file manager, I think, in this file manager, that method you pass in a string, which is the uh, which is the like the reverse domain identifier for your app group, mm-hmm. and it could return nil. But it doesn't really explain when that is. And like if you pass in an app group that's valid and the folder doesn't exist, like it will create that folder and give and then give you that. Like so it's definitely giving you back a fault. Like so when isn't it nil? So I yeah. guess it's like I would say that's an exclamation mark. Yeah. Cause the only time that's gonna be nil is if you've messed up your app group your name. App group name. Mm-hmm. And that is like a hard-coded string so yeah i think unless i've misunderstood the api no it's a hard-coded string 
Oh, I mean, like maybe it can also return nil if you're running out of disk space or something. Well, yeah, like I, I don't know. Like it could return nil at other times. I, it doesn't really explain that like at all. You look at the yeah. documentation for that method, and it's like it, do, it, it doesn't even mention the fact that it returns nil. So you're right. But like, it what does, are you going to do? It does. It, like it returns an optional. So it's almost weird. like we need, in this case, another type of optional, and that would be these should exist by view did load, and right. if they're not then there's a problem. So it's like in your code, you could use them as non-optionals. But from the outside world, maybe they would be optional. So like inside your class, they're non-optional, outside they're optional. I don't know. It probably doesn't even work. But that's almost what it feels like. What you need is some sort of like annotation or attribute that you can apply to your mm. to your properties to say like, okay, when this method is called they should exist at that point. Like that's when they should exist by. So yeah. that way you could use it on, for instance, you have view controls where you have view did load. But in instances like, for instance, like I sometimes use things like, I, so I have a, in GIF wrapped, I have a Dropbox controller. Uh, the Dropbox controller is it's not a singleton, but it kind of runs like one because there's really only one of them. Uh, but it, has a start method on it so you can load up a dropbox controller and it can be doing nothing so that's basically if uh that in that that instance is what happens when uh you don't actually have dropbox connected so like dropbox is sitting there and it's ready to connect but there's nothing happening because you haven't actually like hooked up a an account and yeah. so certain properties for instance a an NS URL session that is like authenticated to hit the the um you know the API that won't necessarily exist until after that set start method is run and and so if you had a it had an attribute to say this is optional before start that might be nice mm. yeah, yeah yeah it might be yeah so I think I'll just add a footnote here a so, footnote. For all the people at the start who are still saying, I still don't see the problem with singletons. It's, this isn't just for testing. I have found as I've started like using this practice, it really helps to highlight when my classes are getting out of control. Right. Because it's so easy to just call a singleton. In the heat of the moment, like you've got a deadline coming up. You just <laughs> chuck one in where you know you shouldn't be calling that. Like You're inside your view or something and you're just quickly going, if this is equal to data controller dot, I don't know, gif at 87, do right. something special for gif 87 because it's breaking everything. And, yep. you know, we got a ship. We got a ship today. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, yep. This dependency injection makes it much harder to do things like that and much easier to see when things are getting crazy. Like you're suddenly going, oh, I'm injecting 10 things into this class. It's Maybe I should start thinking about splitting this up. Yeah, it definitely seems like it highlights uh, like your the 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 kind of interweaving kind of strings yeah. that go between your classes, which is always something that like that that I struggle with because it's the sort of thing where at some point in the class I might use this one method from this one class, like from this other class, just because I've used it. I don't even know why I've used it, but I've, it's there. You know, so there's this kind of invisible string between these two classes, and when you're doing things like I'm kind of I've been doing for like you know trying to separate stuff out so that it's working so that it works in app extensions. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to kind of have those those boundaries. Like, yeah, you're finding like oh, I can't put this in my framework, but 
yeah. this isn't going to work without it. Yeah. And so it's like, I, and then I'm like having, I'm forced to like go and find that particular thing that I, you know, should probably not have done in the first place. So I feel like dependency injection probably would have saved me some headache there because like it highlights those kind of strings because rather than like somewhere within the code, you're pointing directly to some other bit of code somewhere else. You're kind of going through a like a what one kind of spot spot if that makes sense and it also makes your code easier like if you're in a team it's it becomes very obvious like what implementing your class is going to do and what it needs mm. so yeah that's pretty much it nice hopefully that made sense to a lot of people and i don't know might have learned something i learned something i definitely learned something that's good dependency injection is not what i thought it was <laughs> <laughs> So that's yeah. a good thing. It's got a scary name. I ignored it for so long. And it turns out it's like a really simple principle. It is. I I think I was getting it confused because I thought it was to do with like, you know, I think of dependencies like, you know, third party stuff. Yeah. So I was getting confused with the name. Yeah. So, you know, but that's good. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm going to start thinking about how I can make use of this in my, my code. Yes. Yes. Good. But before I do that... I should uh, I should mention that there'll be show notes on the website. Probably not a lot. We'll link to a handful of like the lib- the Android libraries and stuff. We'll link to those. Yeah, there's a, a f- obviously this is a hot topic, so there's definitely a few good blogs out there that go over it. All right. Well, I'll get you to give me a couple of links, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we can stick them in the show notes, and then people can read more if they want to know more and you know read things from people who definitely know what they're talking about, as opposed to us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can read countless countless articles on to implicitly unwrap or to not. Yes. If you want to get in touch with us as well, that's on our website too. So the website is mobilecouch.co. If you would like to get in touch with us individually, you can do that. Ben is on Twitter. Theoretically, could be right now. Like right No, now. I'm not. No, but you last week we oh, talked about wait. this. When, yes. By the time but this is in the future. Yeah. This could be in the future. Like maybe you are. Or maybe you're asleep. Yeah, maybe. Like Probably. right now. That's, that'd be weird. Like you're talking, but you're asleep. That's so weird. If you'd like to get in touch with him, he is Ben Trengrove. That's B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And I am also on Twitter, possibly right now. I don't know. I don't really sleep. I didn't really sleep last night. I, I am Jellybean Soup. J-E-L-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S-O-U-P. I don't know why I spelled you that You have out. never spelt that out. <laughs> <laughs> That was the first. Oh, 89 the first episodes time. in and he's done it. <laughs> he finally learned how to spell his own name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the trouble. I've actually never known how to spell it myself. Uh, that's it. Thank you for listening. It has been amazing. Thank you to our patrons who support the show and are awesome. Just kind of generally. Like if they had an attribute or an annotation on them, it would be that they are awesome. Yes, I agree. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye.